the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sponsored by the Law Office of Robert Bergman. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Welcome and good afternoon. Bob Bergman here, Plan Your Estate Radio. I'm going to be covering um, uh, pretty much one topic today. Uh, Before we get started, though, uh, I am going to be taking calls. If you'd like to call in, the number is 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220, like the number of the station, KDOW. Uh, I want to also let you know, um, I'm going to make it a little easier for you to contact me now by email uh, this is if you'd like a copy of my California Consumer Guide to Wills, Living Trusts, and Estate Planning. Or if you'd like to get questions to me you'd like answered on the air or just comments about the show. I've made it a little easier now. Email me at radio at lawbob.com, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com. That's my main domain on the Internet lawbob.com. You can go there and also get a lot of useful information, as well as contact me, book consultations, reserve spaces in my upcoming Living Trust and Retirement Plan Trust seminars. want to let you know also in the future, probably later on this summer, I'll be doing seminars, live seminars in my office, maybe out in the community as well, on medical planning. That's planning for the expense of long-term care, nursing home care. Those seminars are coming as well. So email me at radio at lawbob.com. Call 800-516-1220 if you'd like to get on the air today to ask me questions or give comments. Visit my website at lawbob.com. That's L-A-W-B-O-B dot com. Now on today's show, I'm going to be talking about a fairly broad topic, but I'm not going to talk about everything that could possibly be talked about um, in on uh, today's topic. What I'm going to be talking about is California real property tax and then kind of how it's determined and then what are some of the exclusions available to having real property tax stay the same and not be reassessed when a transfer takes place. Now, you may or may not be aware that many, many years ago, back in the 70s, the uh, the people of California put in Proposition 13. Proposition 13 basically stated that we're going to take the real property taxes at that time, we're going to back up some time, 
We're going to set a base year for property taxes and then make it so that no matter how much property values go up or the consumer price index goes up, that real property taxes could not go up more than 2% each year. Now, ponder that for a moment. That means in a year when, say, real property tax values uh, in Santa Clara County, where I live, we had years, for example, where they went up year over year 15 to 20%. However, under Proposition 13 and some subsequent propositions that kind of nailed it down in many ways, it's limited to 2% growth per year. Now, what this means is that if you've owned your home or if you've owned rental property, even commercial buildings for many, many years, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, that the real property taxes that you're paying on that property are significantly less than what you'd be paying if you just bought that property today. For example, someone could be living in a house in Willow Glen here in San Jose that was purchased for $30,000 back in the early 1960s and has been lived in all those years. And today it's worth $1.5 million. However, the assessed value of that property is not going to be $1.5 million. It might be two hundred and fifty or three hundred thousand dollars, which means the property taxes, typically about one one and a quarter percent of the assessed value in taxes every year. So that might mean about four thousand dollars in taxes. That's as opposed to maybe seventeen thousand or eighteen thousand dollars in taxes if the property was being taxed at the current market value. Now, why is this important? Many people have homes here in the Bay Area that were purchased a long time ago, and they have those low assessed values because they've been owned for a long time. They want to be able to pass on that property to the next generation, to children, maybe to grandchildren, maybe to a spouse who doesn't own the property right now or actually back and forth between a spouse or to a registered domestic partner. And they don't want to have that property tax reassessed when that happens. Well, what I'm going to talk about today are some of the issues about property tax reassessment, what kinds of transfers of real property aren't considered to be transfers. So this is the question, when is a transfer of real estate not a transfer of real estate? You're going to find out today. And then also, what kinds of exclusions, the most common exclusions that are available in our real property tax laws, and some of them may actually surprise you. So, let's get started. Fasten your seatbelts, put your trays in the upright and locked position. Please turn off all electronic devices because they will interfere with your ability. Oh, wait. If you're listening on a phone or a computer or something like that, don't turn those off because otherwise you won't hear the show anymore. So let's get started. Probably the most common exclusion from reassessment that I, that I look at in my practice is called the spousal or interspousal exclusion. Now, what does this really mean? This means that if you are married, 
that is legally married under California law, you can freely transfer property, real property, back and forth between you and your spouse without triggering a reassessment of the property taxes. Now, that's because this type of transfer under the real property tax laws qualifies as not really a transfer. So this is one of those transfers that's not a transfer. So if if a husband, for example, owned real estate that he purchased before he got married and later wants to add his wife to the title of that real estate, he can do a deed adding her to the title either as joint tenants or community property or community property with right of survivorship, the latter two the ones I would generally recommend, and that will not trigger a reassessment of the property taxes for that husband and wife. Same thing would apply if it's a husband and husband or a wife and wife. So gay and lesbian married couples qualify for the same tax treatment under the real property laws. Closely related to that are registered domestic partners. Now, registered domestic partners actually are typically gay and lesbian couples, but they could actually be opposite sex couples where at least one of them is over the age of 62 years and meets federal requirements for either old age insurance benefits or for, quote, aged individuals. Now, something that's important to note here, for this exclusion to apply, you have to have your registered domestic partnership registered with the California Secretary of State. If you just do it locally in a city or county or an employer, that is not considered being a registered domestic partner for exclusion from real property tax reassessment. After the break, I'm going to come back and talk about some other exclusions from reassessment. So this is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. Talk with you after the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. On AM 1220, KDOW. Hi, I'm back. Uh, Before the break, I was talking about uh, real property tax exclusion from reassessment. And I was talking specifically in reference to married couples and registered domestic partners. I thought I would spend this second segment expanding on that a bit and then save the balance of the show to talk about Um, other types of exclusions dealing with parents and children and parents and grandchildren. So when we're talking about the interspousal exclusion, here's here's the main thing we're looking at. There's different types of transfers, and, and actually here in the California Constitution, we have a section that talks about transfers of real property between spouses, And this constitutional provision, which you can find in Section 63, provides examples of transfers between spouses that are actually not considered to be a change in ownership. For example, 
Uh, I've already alluded to transfers where a husband, for example, added his wife to the title of a house that he owned prior to the marriage. That could also be a property that he inherited during the marriage, maybe from a parent who passed away or some other relative. It could be um, also a, a property that the uh, that the wife had inherited or that the wife had owned before the marriage. Same thing would work in reverse. But transfers between spouses not only include adding a spouse to the title, they would include changing the form of ownership that the couple have. Now, understand when I'm talking about a married couple here, I'm also referring to registered domestic partners where they have registered their domestic partnership with the Secretary of State. I can't emphasize that too much. If you just went down to the local city hall and registered or told your employer, hey, I've got a domestic partner, that's not going to work. It might work for purposes of getting benefits through your company, but it's not going to work for purposes of avoiding reassessment of property tax if transfers between the two of you start taking place. So transfers between spouses include a transfer to a spouse that takes effect only on the death of a spouse. What are we talking about there? Well, that would be a transfer. Maybe I own real estate. I put it into a trust, and I indicate that on my death, the property is to go to my wife. Well, that's a transfer that would take place, take effect upon my death. That would be an interspousal transfer excluded from reassessment. Another transfer would be if I have uh, have a just a trust in general, transfers to a trustee for the beneficial use of a spouse or for the surviving spouse of a spouse that has just died or by a trustee of a trust to the spouse of the person who created the trust. Those would be excluded. Typical thing there might be husband and wife, uh, actually enter into a joint trust to hold all of their property together, probably as community property, and it provides that upon the death of one of them, the deceased spouse's share of property goes into a trust for the benefit of the surviving spouse for the surviving spouse's lifetime. That might be a bypass trust designed to bypass the taxable estate of the surviving spouse, or it might be a marital Q-tip trust. I'm not going to explain exactly what that is, but that's an irrevocable trust set up to take care of the surviving spouse. And then it may, at that point, when the surviving spouse dies, it will then likely transfer to other people because that person has passed away. But that kind of transfer would be considered a transfer to the spouse and be excluded from reassessment. Also, if a husband and wife own their property as joint tenants and they decided to change it to community property or transfer it into a living trust, that would be an interspousal transfer that's excluded from reassessment. And then another one, which happens sometimes and it's unfortunate, but if there are a husband and wife that actually go through a divorce or dissolution of marriage, or a legal separation where they have formally separated through the court system, not just that they're living apart, and uh, but they've actually legally separated and there's an agreement 
with the court that they've separated. Well, then any transfers of real estate in fulfillment of a property settlement agreement or a decree dissolving the marriage or having a legal separation, those are considered interspousal transfers, even if the transfer happens after the divorce is final and they're not legally married anymore. And I know that sounds kind of strange, too. But, yes, those are also interspousal transfers, and they are excluded from reassessment. Now, at this point, I should mention, I talked about having a joint trust with a husband and wife. Joint trust can be entered into by married couples and actually have community property and get community property tax treatment at both the state of California level and the federal tax law level. Registered domestic partners here in California don't get community property treatment at the federal level. The federal law only recognizes marriages, and registered domestic partnerships, by definition, are not marriages. So those of you who are in uh, registered domestic partnerships, if you want to make sure that your spouse gets the benefits of community property ownership at death, it might be time to consider going down to the courthouse and uh, getting a marriage license and tying the knot formally to create a marriage between you uh, because they're, you're basically being treated as married right now by the state of California because of inheritance laws and community property laws per California and all kinds of things. So you might want to consider taking the next step and getting the same benefit under federal law. So much like uh, married couples, if you have transfers that take effect on the death of a registered domestic partner, I'll call that an RDP from now on, or transfers into a trust for the benefit of a registered domestic partner, or going to the RDP at the death of the original owner, all those kinds of things would actually qualify as excluded from reassessment of the property taxes. So that's kind of a summary of uh, transfers between spouses, that's both same-sex and opposite-sex spouses, as well as registered domestic partners here in the state of California. When I come back after the mid-show break, I'm going to talk about the other kinds of exclusions we have and ones that might be very, very important if you have children or grandchildren. And some of these rules you're going to find surprising. I can guarantee that. But in the meantime, if you'd like to give me a call, call me at 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Or feel free to contact me at radio at lawbob.com. So after the break, we'll be coming back and talking about children and grandchildren and exclusions from real property tax reassessments. Talk with you then. This is attorney Bob Bergman. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. It's the third segment of our show today, and I'm just getting warmed up. 
This segment, I'm going to talk about two other exclusion reassessment of real property taxes. Now, just to let you know, on the show today, I'm not going to talk about transfers in joint tenancy between parties or transfers in and out of entities such as partnerships and limited liability companies. That's a whole other topic, and it's a very complex topic, and I wouldn't even attempt it on the radio because it is just so complicated. These are more straightforward and I think easier to understand for people. Now, in 1986, the voters here in California approved Proposition 58, which added another part to the California Constitution. And what it did was it provided that the terms purchased and a change in ownership under the real property tax laws excluded the purchase or transfer of a principal residence between parents and their children and the first million dollars of the full cash value of all real estate in California other than a principal residence between parents and children. Now let's take the first part. Principal residence means just that. Where do you live? Uh, So your principal residence could be any value, any assessed value. It doesn't matter. So if you're living in a $30 million mansion down in Beverly Hills, that is your principal residence. And that could be transferred to your children without any reassessment. If you have a principal residence and you've got five or six rental properties, um, if the combined full cash value of the rental properties is a million dollars or less, that is excluded from reassessment. Now, here's where it gets interesting. The cash value is not the market value. I'll repeat that in case you fell off your chair or swerved off the road. The cash value is not the market value. It's the assessed value. I did an administration a number of years back where the cash value of all of the real estate owned by my client was about $1.1 million. The actual market value was well over $3 million. But we were able to exclude from reassessment a million dollars worth of that property from being reassessed. And then the extra 100000 we actually assigned to a property where the decision had been made, we're going to sell that property right away. So there was only a short time period, a few months, where there was a higher assessed value for $100,000 worth of that other property. So keep that in mind. Full cash value is the assessed value. Now, in 1996, the voters approved Proposition 193. And this added to the Constitution and allowed transfers from grandparents to grandchildren, okay, and allowed those to be excluded from the change in ownership as long as certain members of the parent generation in between were deceased. So I'm going to touch on that today. Uh, It's a narrower exclusion, and it has to have very specific facts in order to qualify for it. So transfers have to be between an eligible transferor, that's the person who is giving, and an eligible transferee. Now, transferors that are eligible could be a grandparent, a parent, or a child of an eligible transferee. An eligible transferee is a parent, a child, or 
or grandchild of an eligible transferee. Now, child is defined interesting ways in our real property tax laws. First of all, any child that's born of the parent or parents, doesn't have to be both, except a child who's been adopted by the age of 18 by somebody else. So if you give a child up for adoption and later on they come back into your life and you want to give things to them or transfer at your death, they're not your child anymore for purposes of this exclusion. Second thing is if you have a stepchild or spouse of a stepchild while the relationship of stepparent and stepchild exists, which means as long as the marriage on which that relationship is based uh, it will be in effect until it's terminated by divorce, or if one step parent dies, if the step parent dies, until the remarriage of the surviving step parent. So, and then that also includes now registered domestic partners who are treated as a parent to the child of their partner. So you don't actually have to have a legal relationship with that uh, that partner's child, they're considered your stepchild. Now, the next thing, and this is one that really surprises people, a son-in-law or daughter-in-law of parents while the in-law relationship exists, which means until the marriage on which the relationship exists is terminated by divorce or if terminated by death, until the remarriage of the surviving son-in-law or daughter-in-law. And this also includes a surviving registered domestic partner. Now, that means, for example, if if my son was married, my son John's married to his wife Jane, John dies, but because they were living in a property that I owned and I wanted to have the property to go to Jane, I could transfer it to Jane. I could leave it in my will or trust to Jane. And as long as she had not remarried in the meantime, she gets to qualify for the exclusion from reassessment. It means I can also transfer the property to John and Jane now or at my death. And even though Jane's on there, if they're still married at the time that transfer takes place, or if they were married at the time that my son died and my daughter-in-law hasn't remarried, that qualifies for the exclusion from reassessment. Then any child that's adopted by statute, meaning adopted legally, by one or both parents by the age of 18 years. Now notice, that excludes a child who's adopted who's over 18 years. They don't qualify. You might have raised a child from a very young age who was your stepchild, um, actually, and then they, the, um, there was a divorce, or maybe your, the parent of that stepchild died, and you decide you want to adopt that stepchild later and make them your child. You can do that. But if they're over age 18 when you do that, they don't qualify as your child the exclusion from reassessment of the property taxes. So that's a little wrinkle right there. And then kind of a smaller wrinkle, if you have a foster child and your state license as your foster parent, if you wanted um, if you wanted to adopt that child, but because of a legal barrier, you couldn't adopt that child 
before they aged out of the foster care system, they can be considered your child. So you might want to actually have them be your child, but you are prevented from doing that for some legal reason. So an adopted child is one that's formally adopted following the procedures in the family code before reaching the age of 18. Now, there's some case law called equitable adoption, which is where someone can be treated as a natural child if they were promised to be adopted or it was contemplated, but it never happened. Um, a, A child that's adopted by the doctrine of equitable adoption qualifies to inherit in in foster parents' property, but they're not considered a child for exclusion from reassessment of the property taxes. So that's an important issue right there. Now, grandchild. Grandchildren are different. There was a time when the grandparent-grandchild exclusion was only available if both parents of the grandchild or grandchildren who were the children of the grandparents, as defined under the law, were deceased at the date of transfer. And in 2005, they included registered domestic partners as an in-law child. Now, what that would mean is to do the transfer from you as a grandparent to your grandson, both your child and your son or daughter-in-law or their registered domestic partner had to both be deceased. Now, As of January 1 of 2006, now you don't have to have a son-in-law or daughter-in-law be deceased anymore. Instead, um, to qualify, that they have to either have been married to your child at the date of your child's death, um, but they cannot be divorced because if they're divorced from your child— then what happens there is um, they no longer qualify as your child, which means if they're the only, uh, and actually that's good news, if they no longer qualify as your child, then that means that you could do a transfer to your grandchild and have it qualify. So both parents of the grandchild have to either be deceased or no longer qualify as a child of the grandparents, which means that either your son and daughter-in-law have to be deceased, or your son's died, and when he died, he was divorced at that time from your daughter-in-law, which means she is no longer your child, which makes their children eligible as your grandchild. So that is an interesting wrinkle right there. Uh, The same thing applies essentially for registered domestic partnerships. They have the same rights as uh, married spouses, both same sex and opposite sex. So after the break, I'm going to come back. We're going to wrap up the show today, maybe with a brief summary. And I'm going to introduce, I think, what I'm going to be talking about next weekend. You might, or next week, you're going to be pretty surprised by it. So after the break, we'll come back to the last segment of the show today. This is attorney Bob Bergman. Talk with you then. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back for the final segment of my show today. I hope you found it a little bit entertaining and also informative. 
And I'll tell you what, I talk about these things because they're important issues that really need to be dealt with in the estate planning process. And I'm going to talk now about the issue of parent-to-child and parent and grandparent-to-grandchild transfers in the context of planning. Now, let me tell you, I see a lot of trusts, living trusts that are created, especially ones from a long time ago, that basically will say that they want to divide everything in equal shares between all of the children, maybe share and share alike. And the trust itself does not make any provision for distribution other than equal shares. That's very, very common. What that means is that each beneficiary of the trust is to receive an equal share in each and every property owned by the person that's died. So when you apply the parent-child or grandparent-grandchild exclusion, whether that applies depends on whether or not the trust limits the power of the trustee to distribute the estate property, the property of the trust, or even the property coming by way of a will. So California law permits a trustee the power to distribute property and money in divided interests or undivided interests and to adjust the differences in value. That's called a a non-pro rata distribution. Now, if a trust limits the power of the trustee and requires them to distribute the property share and share alike, then a distribution of that of real estate, for example, is considered to be a direct transfer from the creator of the trust to the beneficiaries of the trust. On the other hand, if you can do use the statutory authority to make non-pro distributions, then the trustee could give equal ownership in each trust asset to individual beneficiaries, that's pro rata, or may allocate specific property to specific individual beneficiaries, which is non-pro rata, as long as the value to each beneficiary is equal. For example, if someone has a trust and they're leaving their house to their to their two children, but they also and their house is worth say eight hundred thousand dollars, but they also have eight hundred thousand dollars in cash and securities in a brokerage account, a non pro rata distribution would enable the trustee to leave the house to one child and leave the cash and the securities to the other child. That would be non pro rata. Why is this important? Because what if it is not authorized to be non pro rata and one child wants the house and the other child doesn't care and says, sure, you could take the house, but the trust provides it has to be divided equally between them. You might say, well, why can't they just divvy it up that way and say, okay, you take the house and I'll take the cash and securities. The problem is once you distribute that property out to the first child, the assessor is going to look at that transfer and is going to look at the trust to see what the trust says. And if it does not actually prohibits a non-pro rata division, they'll say, okay, effectively what happened was this child got bought out the half of the other child, and so they're going to reassess 50% of the property for the property taxes, and you've now blown that exclusion from reassessment. 
it's considered a transfer between the children one to the other, and that is not excluded from reassessment under the property tax laws. See how this could be crucial? Now, there's ways to deal with that. First of all, have plenty of property when you die, plenty of assets so you can equalize between the children, but people don't always have that ability. They may actually own real estate and maybe $100,000 in their assets, so there's no way to divvy up like that. How about, and this is a way that it can be dealt with that's actually authorized by the law, and I know in Santa Clara County they recognize it, how about if the trust itself gives a right of first refusal to the child that really wants the property, and this is something you find out ahead of time, which gives them the ability to go out and obtain outside financing to then buy out through the trust, buy out the interest of the other child who doesn't want the property. If that's done the proper way, it's a transfer from the parent to the child of 100% of the property and qualifies for the exclusion from reassessment. Now, this is something you don't try on your own. There's very specific ways that it has to be done. Um, and so this is not a do-it-yourself thing at all. But it does require that that kind of language appear in the trust itself to permit that. Another issue, though, is transfers in trust to children after someone has died, if they include grandchildren as possible beneficiaries of those trusts, we have to look at the issue of unintentionally having a prohibited transfer to a grandchild, which would trigger a 100% reassessment on the property taxes of that property. Again, special drafting is needed to avoid that result. And again, I'll tell you, this is not a do-it-yourself thing. If you are interested in more information about that, contact me at rpb at lawbob.com or give my office a call at 408 And I'll be very happy to talk with you about that. Maybe you can make a consultation and come in and talk about how we can update your living trust estate plan to make sure that we don't have these problems down the line. So I'll be back next week. And until then, goodbye. On today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.